Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring Tales to Terrify, Crime City Central, Protecting Project Pulp, and the all-new Far-Fetched Fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. This is the Starship Sova, everybody. Welcome, hello, and welcome to show 365. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. Well, over the last few weeks there, it's been shows a bit crammed with with content. Today we've just got one story, but what a story. I'll tell you what's coming up in a, in a minute. Just before we get into the show, I just want to make a, a shout out. Just I just heard last night that Nicola Seaton-Clark, Nicola who hosts Farfetch Fables, you know, and done some fantastic narrations. Nicola's in hospital with what they think might have been like a slight bleed on her brain and it's give her meningitis, do you know what I mean? And it's just like, wow, man. So Nicola, you know, complete thoughts are flying over to you there. You know, everyone in Starship's over. This has just come out of the blue, you know. We're sending my deepest thoughts just to get well soon and, you know, Pete's having to kind of rally round, you know, look after kids and everything like that. And I think it's just, oh, this has just happened and, and especially right before Christmas as well. So... You know, don't worry about, you know, far-fetched fables. I know we've got Mark and Gary there who's kind of rallying around and getting everything sorted out there. So just, God, get yourself better. Do you know what I mean? That's just, it just shocked us, to be quite honest. Because you see Nicola on Facebook and, you know, just kind of fit and active, marathons running and everything, you know what I mean? Just for this to happen, it's just horrible. So Nicola, you know, I wish I could just kind of come over and say hello and give you a big hug. Please get well. So, on to today's show. And like I say, we've just got the, the actual main story today, which is actually quite nice. Give you a little bit of a break, you know, like filling is full of, you know, two-hour shows there. It is Unexpected Launch by Alan Baxter. I'll give you a little bit of heads up about Alan. Alan Baxter is a British-Australian author who writes dark fantasy, horror, sci-fi, rides a motorcycle and loves his dog. He also teaches Kung Fu. He is the author of dark urban fantasy trilogy Bound, Obsidian and Abduction, the Alex Kane series, published by Harper Voyager Australia and the dark urban fantasy duology Realm Shift and Maze Shine from Griffinwood Press. He co-authored the short horror novel Dark Ride with David Wood. Alan also writes short fiction with more than 50 stories published in a variety of journals and anthologies in Australia, the US, the UK and France. His short fiction has appeared in Fantasy and Science Fiction, 
Beneath Ceaseless Skies, Daily Science Fiction, Postscripts and Midnight Echo, among others. And for more than 20 anthologies, wow, including the best years Australian fantasy and horror 2010 and 2012. He's been twice finalist in the Dittmar Awards. Alan lives among dairy paddocks on the beautiful south coast of New South Wales, Australia, with his wife, son, dog and cat. Read extracts from his novels and novella and short stories at his website, warriorscribe.com, or find him on Twitter at Alan Baxter and Facebook. There's links on there as well if you want to go over. This story is narrated by Nicole Doolin. Nicole is a writer and voice actor. Her fiction, poetry and plays have been published and performed and her voice has appeared in various mediums. Nicole narrates classic literature in her podcast Audio Literature Odyssey and also narrates contemporary stories for Tales to Terrify, Farfetch Fables and Crime City Central and the No Sleep Podcast. To learn more about Nicole, visit her website at nicoledoolin.com. And again, there's a link on there. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present. Unexpected Launch by Alan Baxter. Narrated by Nicole Doolin. Gareth stared open-mouthed at flames blooming massive and silent against a backdrop of stars. Bright, molten debris spun out from orange and black clouds folding in on themselves without more oxygen to fuel them. Then the deep black of space, an ocean of dark, twisted debris, and the sound of Dean vomiting. The rag and bottle of polish were forgotten in his hands. He became aware of Dean moving beside him, vomit bag held closed. Dean watched the debris moving past, balletic in its motion, occasionally clanging off their escape pod in random ricochets. What happened? Dean asked, hoarse from his nausea. The ship's gone. Gareth looked away from the window. You want to throw that away? Oh yeah, sorry. That launch was intense. Dean pushed the bag into a waste disposal. A whoosh of air escaping into a vacuum, and his vomit joined the debris drifting by. Gareth looked out again. You see any other life pods? No. They moved around the small craft, checking each window. Eventually, they sat in the two front seats. Gareth looked at the controls and readouts before him. He had cleaned them, and others like them, a thousand times, but they meant nothing to him. What are we going to do? Dunno. Dean put down the hand vac he was carrying, shrugged off the large tank. I don't know anything about this stuff. Gareth eventually chose a button, pressed it. A holographic display leapt up from the console, causing both men to sit back in alarm. The golden cube of light hung there, impassive. I've seen the crew using these, moving them about. Gareth's voice was almost a whisper as he slid his hand into the light. Can't you just ask? Ask. The computer? Gareth made a wry face, gesturing back over his shoulder. The ship's gone. Dean shrugged. Maybe the computer backs up everywhere? Just because Cortain the ship is gone, maybe Cortain the computer isn't. Gareth raised an eyebrow. He reached for the comm panel in the arm of his chair. Cortain? Yes. The two men exchanged a look of surprise and delight. Are you the same Cortain as the computer on the ship? Yes. 
With the same data? Yes, my data is preserved. Gareth nodded his head. Cortain, can you control this life pod? Yes. Both men slumped with sighs of relief. Cortain, what happened? Please define your request. What happened to the ship? The vessel Cortain was destroyed in an unavoidable collision. Did anyone else survive? No. They exchanged a frightened look. So how come we survived? You survived due to your presence within a life pod. At the point of catastrophic impact to a vessel, all occupied life pods auto-launch. If no life pods are occupied, one life pod will auto-launch to preserve onboard data. To preserve you? Yes. And there's nothing else left of the Cortain. According to onboard sensors, nothing salvageable remains. Gareth combed his fingertips back through graying hair. Shit. Dean, much younger than his co-worker, stared at the console. So what happened? He whispered. Catastrophic impact. Gareth rubbed at his eyes. Cortain, what happened to the ship? Something hit us. Like an asteroid? No, organic. Organic? Yes. And it totaled the ship? Yes. What the hell? Both men leaned forward, scanning the wide black outside. Where is it? Gareth asked. Unknown. What is it? Unknown. The two men stood and moved nervously from window to window, trying to see all around the small pod. Gareth swallowed hard as he moved, feeling incredibly vulnerable. If something had been able to wipe out a massive vessel like the Quartain in a single blow, the life pod would seem like a bug to a giant. Perhaps that would work to their advantage. They might not be noticed. What could destroy a vessel the size of the Quartain with a single blow? Gareth swallowed again, thinking of all the lives snuffed out in an instant. No warning. No chance to do anything. One minute the Cortain was cruising along, the next it was space gravel. Gone, taking 3,500 lives with it. Well, 3,498. And now what? His heart racing, Gareth realized that he needed to start acting less like a cleaner and more like a crew member. He had Dean to look after. Cortain? Yes? What systems on board are currently, er, on? Life pod is silent running. Unpowered, on launch trajectory, basic life support and close-range sensors operating. Gareth nodded. Good. Please keep it that way, and can you turn down the lights? The pod dimmed to near darkness. A gentle concealed glow in the hollow cube on the console, the only light sources. Dean looked pale. What are you doing? Just trying to make us as inconspicuous as possible. Can't we just power up and leave? It can't be far to the nearest system or outpost. Maybe. I have no idea where we are. We were a long way out, I know that much. But if we fire up the engines, we might attract whatever it was that smashed the Cortain. Dean shuddered, sat heavily into his seat again. So what do we do? 
Gareth took a long breath. I'm not really sure. Cortain? Yes. Do you have any visuals of what happened? The holocube on the console grew up and out into a wide rectangular screen. Gold light morphed into a view of open space. From the bottom of the screen, stars appeared to be going out, a semi-circular line traveling upwards, extinguishing stars as it moved. The semicircle partly resolved into something solid, blacker than the space around it, slightly reflective in places. Lightning fast, a whip of darkness, wider than the quartain was long, flicked out of the massive presence, filling the screen in an instant. A display returned to the soft gold hologram. The men sat stunned. What in all the deep black was that? Dean whispered eventually. Gareth could feel himself trembling. Whatever it was, it put him on the verge of open panic. What could exist that was that big and that fast and that black? It wasn't long ago that first contact had been made. The bizarre Pietra Gan story that had been all over the news for several months. But this was something else entirely. Gareth tried to process everything into some coherent course of action. Gortain? Yes. Where are we? Sector 14, Quadrant 8XB. He blinked. I don't know what that means. What are we near? Please define your request. Are we near any outposts or settlements? No. The Cortain was a deep space exploration vessel. We are in uncharted territory. Gareth could hear Dean's breathing increase rapidly. How far are we from any kind of rescue? Using fuel conservation, maintaining life support, this life pod could reach outpost 4X-11 in 43 days. Dean made a noise like a sob and gulp combined. How much food and water are on board? Gareth asked. Recycling and food prep could be stretched, at bare minimum for human survival for two occupants to 26 days. Gareth scrunched up his face at the mental arithmetic. So that's 17 days without food or water? Correct. What about oxygen? 60 days. So we have enough air. Can we survive for the last 17 days without food or water? Unlikely. Unlikely? You have already been subsisting on the absolute bare minimum in terms of nutrition and hydration. Dean looked stricken. There has to be an alternative. One person could survive for considerably longer than two in these conditions. Gareth's eyes widened. What? Dean's eyes were narrowed, looking sidelong at Gareth, as if weighing him up. Gareth shook his head. Remember that day, Dean, when you and Trell thought you'd play a trick on me? Dean deflated in his chair. You hospitalized us both. Gareth nodded. You shouldn't play tricks on me. I act first and think later. Bear that in mind if your hunger causes you to imagine a nice steak sauce running over me. Dean looked contrite, casting his eyes at the floor. Sorry, mate, I'm just a bit panicky. I know. Cortain, are there any alternatives to eating each other? 
I meant that one of you could survive for longer on existing rations, if the other chose to eject. If one of you ate the other, that person could last considerably longer still, though that person would be in breach of several articles of the Democratic Alliance of Planet Space Exploration Code, as well as a number of other laws. Gareth waved both hands. Forget it. We are not eating each other and no one is taking a spacewalk. Are there alternatives that include us both staying on board and alive? Already a distress signal has been activated. Depending on when that signal is intercepted and where the nearest vessel is, a rescue could be mounted inside the 43 days it would take to travel to Outpost 4X-11. Gareth thought long and hard. And if we began the journey towards 4X-11, that rescue is likely to intercept us even sooner? If such a rescue is mounted. If? Yes. Why would a rescue not be mounted? The distress beacon signal includes data relating to the incident, which destroyed the Cortain, and information relating to survivors. The Democratic Alliance of Planets Operating Procedure states that the DAP would need to deem the situation safe and the rescue of enough value to direct a vessel this way. Gareth made several incoherent curses under his breath before he found his voice. Why wouldn't the rescue be of value? Just because we're cleaning staff? We're just as important a part of the crew as anyone else. Dean nodded. That's right. The super always says a dirty ship wouldn't get anywhere fast. They looked at each other, thinking about the truth of that claim for the first time. Gareth could see his concern mirrored in Dean's eyes. Cortain, they would come for us, wouldn't they? Almost certainly, if the sector of space where the rescue takes place is deemed safe. Almost certainly. Better than maybe, not as good as definitely. But if something had wiped out a ship like the Cortain in a single swipe, the lives of two DAP cleaners were not really worth the same thing happening again. Perhaps they would send a warship. The Cortain was very well equipped. Considerable weapons and defensive capabilities. Even a cleaner knew that. But it was no battleship. Maybe a battle cruiser would come for them. Cortain, the organic thing that hit the Cortain, is it still here? Nothing appears on any sensors. However, nothing appeared on any sensors until moments before the strike. Therefore, it is possible that whatever it was is still within striking distance and not registering. But it did register briefly before the strike? Correct. As you saw in the vision, something appeared for a few seconds before it struck, and that registered on all sensors. What did the crew make of it? Would you like to view the vision again, with bridge crew audio? Yes, please. The wide gold hollow screen darkened again and showed nothing but deep space. This time the general hubbub of bridge crew chatter accompanied it. Heading confirmed, Captain, as per DAPHQ. All systems clear. The deeper blackness appeared at the bottom of the screen. Captain, we've got a massive signal on all sensors. Identify. Source unknown. Composition organic. Sir, it's huge and moving incredibly fast. Captain, it's heading directly for the Cortain. 
I'll scan, Ensign. I need to know what that thing is. Sir, there's an enormous energy burst flooding our sensor. Scans are interrupted. What's moving in front of it? Is something extending from... Gareth jumped as the screen flicked back to the dull gold of the holoscreen on standby. Cortain, what did the scan show? The impact occurred before the scan was complete. It was an organic signature. Incredibly dense. Chemical analysis was incomplete, but did register carbon along with a variety of other compounds. It made very little sense. All Gareth really understood was that something enormous had destroyed the Cortain in a single hit, and that thing was unidentifiable. Presumably this data would be of use to scientists somewhere. Dean was watching Gareth, face still pale. What do we do? We need to get moving, I suppose. Cortain, can we get away unnoticed? Unknown. Can we try very slowly at first so any thruster activity is minimal? Yes. Gareth took a deep breath. He looked at Dean and his eyebrows flicked up. Cortain, can you set a course for outpost 4X11? Course laid in. Get us underway with absolute minimum power, please. Confirmed. Both men held their breath as a gentle hum rose through the hull. A soft glow brightened the rear windows as thrusters were engaged. Gareth moved to the side windows as stars began to slide by. Dean nervously stood and took a station opposite. What are we looking for? he asked in a weak voice. Gareth shook his head. I don't really know. Anything that looks blacker than space? Cortain, will you keep scanning for any movement or anything... organic? Confirmed. All sensors have been extended to mid-range. Gareth and Dean walked about the small pod, almost tiptoeing, checking one window, then the next. They breathed shallowly when they breathed at all, eyes wide and haunted, watching for any shadows in the vastness of space. The gentle hum of the drive mechanism and the occasional beep from the console were the only sounds for several long, slow minutes. The men began to stalk a bit more purposefully around the pod. Anything on sensors? Gareth asked. Nothing. Can we pick up the pace, just a little bit? Affirmative. Our energy signature will not increase significantly if we move up to full power. Gareth pursed his lips. He looked at Dean. Shall we chance it? Dean looked spooked. Run for it, you mean? Gareth nodded. Okay. Fourteen, can you take us up to full power in increments? Say, accelerate by ten percent every ten seconds until we're at full power? Confirmed. The soft hum from the drive mechanism increased. Gareth tried to cast his eyes all around the pod at once. He could feel tension knitting his shoulder blades together. Dean strode from one window to the next, his pace increasing along with the speed of the pod. The hum of the engines rose until it was a soft roar, a vibration that soon became white noise. Maximum speed attained. Heading for DAP Outpost 4X-11, ETA 1,042 hours, 16 minutes. Is this as fast as we can go? Dean asked.
No, but it is as fast as this pod can travel while maintaining enough fuel to reach Outpost 4X-11. Both men took their seats at the helm again. Their eyes scanned the wide open black beyond the screen. Gareth couldn't help feeling as though something was just behind him, bantam hands reaching for his back as he forced himself not to get up and check all the windows once more. Cortain, you're keeping all sensors active. You'll know if anything's out there. Yes. Gareth sighed and leaned back in his chair. Well, I guess we just wait then. And ration our food, Dean added. He sounded miserable. Gareth reached out, squeezed his friend's shoulder. We'll be all right, mate. We're on the way and someone will pick up our distress signal in no time. I hope so. We're pretty deep. Gareth forced a small laugh, turning away so that Dean wouldn't see the fear in his eyes. Sure, we're deep, but someone will be out there and they'll hear us and they'll come and get us. The tension and fear of the unknown soon gave way to concern for survival. After several hours, the expectation of giant, shining black tendrils of space swatting them to oblivion receded as the fear of starving to death became more apparent. A hundred mils of water doesn't even touch the sides. Dean looked disconsolately at the empty cup in his hands. It's more about staying alive than enjoying it. Gareth stared out the window, watching Infinity slide by. Sal's dead. Gareth pulled his eyes back to Dean, sat slumped on the cot opposite him. What's that? Sal. She's dead. Ah, you were going out with that blonde worked in the officer's bar? Dean nodded, still staring at his empty cup. She was really nice. We were, you know, getting serious. Didn't realize it was like that. Yeah, we were planning a kind of holiday for the next shore leave. I was thinking about, well, you know. Gareth watched the young man's bowed head. I'm sorry, Dean, really I am. Dean looked up sharply. What about you? What? You have anyone on board? Gareth shook his head. Nah, I'm a bit old for all that. I took this job, switched to long-haul stuff after my wife died a few years ago. I had a lot of friends on board, of course. Dean looked down again. All gone now. Dead, just like that. As hours became a day, the reality of 43 days began to settle on them. Gareth tried to think of ways to keep Dean's spirits up. Game of cards? He asked, trying to sound chirpier than he felt. If you like. Cortain, can you make a standard deck? The men sat at the front console as Cortain produced playing cards. Gareth took them, still warm from printing, and shuffled. Ruminant's gambit? Dean shrugged. Gareth dealt and they played in silence for a few minutes. How did she die? Dean asked. Gareth looked up from his hand. What's that? Your wife. Oh, hit by a transport in a city hub on Intensia Prime. Gareth frowned, pained by the memory. We were on holiday. Dean made a rueful face. That sucks. Sorry, man. 
Still trying to get used to it, really. Reckon it might take me a while to get over losing Sal. Gareth looked into Dean's eyes, saw the raw pain and fear there. Yeah, he said quietly. It'll take a while. But time does help to heal the wounds. These people always live on in here, mate. He tapped his chest. Dean nodded, his face drawn. I can't believe they're all gone. Only us left. Yeah, it's kind of hard to get your head around. What was it? What? The thing that smashed the Cortain. Gareth drew a deep breath. I don't know, something massive, something alien. It could be anywhere. I know. Let's hope it stayed out there. Maybe we strayed into its territory. We can tell people what happened and everyone can avoid that area of space until we know more about it. Dean looked up to a side window. Or it could be with us. Or ahead of us. It came from nowhere. Yeah, well, we don't know, so let's try to focus on the positive. Until proven otherwise, I'm going to consider it back there where we left it. Dean said nothing, still staring out the window. One day became two, then three. A black cloud of despair fogged the pod, watching recordings of old shows and movies, reading archived books, listlessly playing games through the console. All these things were like treading water, knowing that sharks circled restlessly in the shadows below. The uncertainty was debilitating, wondering if anyone would come for them. Gareth looked over to Dean, lying on his bunk staring up at a hollow screen showing an old colony movie, nibbling minutely at a dry ration. The young man was becoming more disconsolate, retreating into himself. You thought about what you might do when we get picked up? Gareth asked. Dean turned his head, his eyes dull. What? You're a young man, the universe yours for the taking. You don't want to be a cleaner all your life, do you? You have been. Gareth raised an eyebrow. I've done all kinds of things, actually. Driven transports, worked in a shipbuilding yard, maintenance bays at Borelli Spaceport. Loads of stuff. He took a deep breath. I even spent a couple of years in prison. Dean's interest was piqued. Really? What for? Killed a guy. It was self-defense, but I was busted for excessive force. Stitched up on a manslaughter charge. Dean looked unimpressed. Really? You making up stories to scare me? Gareth laughed, surprised. I'm not the sort of person to lie, Dean. I have never told anyone before. I thought maybe we could learn a bit more about each other. You know, share some stuff or something. Dean's eyes narrowed. If you'd been on a custody yacht, you wouldn't be allowed to work long haul now. You can buy a new identity if you know where to look, mate. Dean laughed without humor. Sure, Gareth. He flicked a hand at the hollow screen above him. You should write stories for the hollows, mate. Gareth wanted to give Dean hope, raise his interest, charge some life back into the boy. But it seemed like Dean just saw a sad old man. Prison was an interesting place, he said, trying one last time. I've got some stories to tell. Dean turned back to his movie. Good for you.
Gareth watched the young man, concern in his eyes. You should think about it, he said eventually. Plan for what you might do when we're rescued. It's a chance to start over, look for something new. Dean turned up the volume on his movie. Cortain, any signals? Gareth asked, one hand pressed to his stomach. He was so hungry he felt constantly nauseous. None. Dean grunted. She'd tell us if there was, man, you don't have to keep asking. I suppose, Gareth said. It's just something to do. Bloody annoying, that's what it is. All right, Dean, no need to be a dick about it. Dean swung his legs off the bunk, sitting up straight. A dick? A dick is someone that keeps asking ridiculous questions that he already knows the answer to. Gareth's heart hammered. He could see barely repressed rage in Dean's face. He could fight, but Dean was younger, desperate. Dean was also scared, hurt with grief and impotently angry. He lost more patience every day. Gareth raised his hands, placating. It's just chill out, eh? No need to start getting ratty at each other. It's only been five days. There's a long way to go yet. Dean slumped back onto the bed. Five days. I'm already starving to death. For the first few days, eating only the bare minimum to survive hadn't seemed so bad. Being largely inactive, restricted for space, eating very little had seemed easy. Now fat reserves were beginning to wane, and the minuscule portion seemed more and more ludicrous. Gareth sighed. Me too. But Cortain is giving us enough to keep us alive. Dean made a noise of disgust. Shame there's two of us. Gareth turned back to his book, deciding to let that comment slide for the sake of both their sanity. The sounds of gunfire and mayhem from Dean's bunk drilled into Gareth's ears. Can you turn that down a bit? Dean said nothing. Dean, will you turn the movie down? Dean reached out and tapped his cot-side console. The volume of the movie barely reduced at all. Gareth ground his teeth for a moment. He was keen to keep Dean in good spirits, but the kid was trying his patience by the hour. Perhaps he needed to assert some authority, re-establish a pecking order. Dean, turn it down. Dean looked over at him, sneering. Or what? Gareth stood, heart racing. Or I'll break your bloody nose, that's what. Dean's lips twitched, miming some internal monologue. Still staring hard into Gareth's eyes, he reached out and turned the volume down a few more notches. Gareth rummaged in a small locker by his bunk, turned back with a pair of wireless earbuds. In fact, use these. I'm sick of the constant noise of your crazy movies. Dean snatched the buds, pressed them into his ears with his thumbs. Can't be bad as the constant noise of your bloody nagging. He turned back to the now silent film before Gareth could answer. Gareth nodded to himself, sat back down. The poor kid was suffering. He had to remember that. He was suffering, too, and wished someone would comfort him. But perhaps looking out for Dean was somehow keeping him in check. He was older, wiser, tougher. He was no less scared, but one of them had to stay strong. On the ninth day, Cortain interrupted them. I'm receiving fairly current recorded signals on several frequencies. Gareth sat up, excited. Recorded? Yes, just broadcasts, drifting beyond the initial bands. 
But it is evidence that we're getting closer to occupied space. How much closer? Dean asked gruffly. We're still 34 days from Outpost 4X-11, which is the nearest known human base. Unless there are other vessels this side of Outpost 4X-11, we're still 34 days from contact. Dean grunted, rammed his earbuds back in. Cortain, how far ahead of us is the distress signal we're broadcasting? Gareth asked quietly. Is it likely to have reached inhabited space yet? Yes. The signal will have traveled well into occupied space by now. The DAP know you're out here. Gareth nodded and returned to his reading, trying not to think of all the friends he'd lost. As the days drifted past, their faces swam through his thoughts ever more insistently. He concentrated on the words before him. By the fourteenth day, the men's tempers were even more frayed. The constantly recycled air in the pod was becoming stale even though they had plenty of oxygen. The men themselves, unwashed for two weeks, were offensive to each other, and themselves despite the air filtration. Strict rations and the resulting low energy blackened their moods. Isolation, distance to safety, and proximity to each other all began to take their toll. Gareth grew less and less tolerant of Dean's surly disposition. He watched the young man surreptitiously. Dean had developed a tendency to murmur to himself almost constantly his lips twitching ever so slightly, eyes darting left and right. Anything you want to talk about, Dean? Like what? I don't know. Just have a conversation. Dean's lip curled. You want to talk about all the friends we lost? About how I wanted to take Sal to the Glass Mountains on our next shore leave and ask her to marry me? You want to make up more bullshit about prison? What about the giant alien that killed everybody? Gareth said nothing. Trying to draw Dean out only gave him a chance to vent his anger. Except not venting the anger would only fuel the psychosis creeping across his mind. Gareth knew he was perilously close to madness himself. He had caught himself entertaining thoughts of beating Dean senseless, purely for something to do. The thought of grabbing the young man and crushing his face beneath flying knuckles had given him a thrill of adrenaline he hadn't felt since they had first fired the thrusters. He had even considered what it might be like to eat human flesh. Sometimes, chewing dry rations, he had watched Dean's greasy, stubbled jaw working, watched his throat swallowing, watched his thin shoulders hunched forward, shielding his food. And watching those things had made Gareth's mouth water, and thoughts of steaks with thick gravy flitted through his mind like erratic moths dancing around a flame. He knew these thoughts were the scouts of madness, stealthily checking the landscape of his mind, looking for somewhere to land and start drilling. He also knew that while he was aware of this process happening in his head, Dean was experiencing his own version of the same thing, only he was convinced that Dean didn't have the self-reflection he held on to. Dean's madness was closer to the surface less restrained, fueled by grief. It threatened to break free at any time. Gareth found himself locked eye to eye with the young man. Dean's eyes were dark, hooded, haunted. His lips twitched and worked unselfconsciously, telling himself the mad thoughts were completely sane, the terrible things he considered completely rational. Gareth braced himself as he caught sight of Dean's fingers flexing, his fists clenching. Relaxing.
clenching, relaxing. Signal received. Both men jumped, gasping in breaths. They broke eye contact, turning to the console. Signal. Signal confirmed. The DAP battlecruiser Agamem Dax sends the following communique. Through a crackle of static, a strong male voice said, Survivors of the Cortain, this is Captain Rain of the Agamem Dax. We are en route to rendezvous with your escape pod. We're bending space to get to you guys, so hang in there. Increase your power to absolute maximum. Don't worry about conserving fuel. If you can get to full power, we should be with you in around 30 hours. There was a moment of silence. Then both men jumped up from their cots, whooping and hollering. All previous antagonism forgotten, they grabbed each other in a rough embrace and danced around in a circle. Would you like to send a response? Cortain asked. Gareth laughed, the impending insanity, so close to the surface of his mind, barely held in check when he let that laughter out. Of course, of course. Uh, Cortain, please send the following. Captain Rain, you have no idea how good it is to hear your voice. We are increasing to full power and can't wait to see a friendly face. He looked at Dean and smiled. Also, please be advised that we are in serious need of a shower. Cortain, can you increase to max power and ensure that Rain has all the information he needs to find us? Confirmed. Message and all relevant data sent. How long till we get a reply? Hard to tell. Probably several minutes. But I have a confirmed link in data from the Agamem Dax. They have us. Just a matter of time now. Dean looked out the front screen, almost as if he expected to see the Agamem Dax out there in the distance. Thirty hours? He asked quietly. Tears ran down his cheeks. Yes. Gareth laughed again. From several weeks to little more than a day. Oh, thank all the powers in the black for that. Dean smiled. It was the most normal he had appeared for days. So that means we have plenty of food, right? Gareth's eyes widened. The boy had a point. Cortain, can we have a proper feed now, please? Thirty hours seemed to pass interminably slow, but the thought of rescue was enough to keep both men in good spirits. They had eaten until they felt sick, drunk water like they lived under a waterfall, and slept the sated sleep of the rich. When the Agamem Dax was only a couple of hours out, they established a live communication link with Captain Rain. They described everything to the best of their ability. They answered dozens of questions put to them by all manner of scientists and tacticians. They were euphoric at the thought of imminent showers, proper beds, fresh food, and human contact. The console beeped and Captain Rain's voice sounded again. Gareth, Dean, we're nearly there. We have you on short-range sensors and visual. If you look forward, you should be able to see us. Both men rushed to the console, leaning forward to stare at the screen. Cortain used the head-up display and highlighted the Agamem Dax with a crosshair of faint gold. That tiny, blocky shadow in deep space, with a pinprick rainbow of lights, was the single best thing Gareth had ever seen in his life. He slapped Dean on the shoulder, pointing at the screen. We see you, Captain Rain. Oh, what a relief. We see you. There was a soft laugh from the console. It's good to see you boys, too. We'll come up alongside you at a distance of several kilometers, to avoid risking you in our gravity well. Then we'll launch a shuttle to hook up and tow you in. Another voice came across the wire. 
Captain, we're reading a massive energy signature. Agamem Dax, this is Cortain. Energy signature is consistent with the encounter that destroyed the Cortain. Gareth froze, his knuckles whitening on the console. Dean made that gulping sound again as they stared at the tiny outline of the Agamem Dax. Both men watched deep blackness spread up below the battlecruiser. Captain, sensors indicate a massive biological signature. This thing is bigger than we are by a factor of several hundred. Rain's voice was tight, controlled. As we drilled, focus all weapons to the center of the energy signature. Target acquired. Fire. 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 Energy pulses in the jet exhausts of missiles exploded from the Agamem Dax. Gareth and Dean watched as hundreds of weapons deployed from the massive battlecruiser and flooded into the thing that approached beneath them. The ordnance disappeared into the blackness, briefly illuminating the darkness to a shiny, glassy, featureless surface, like flexing obsidian. The men could see the slick shadows extending beyond their vision in every direction, filling every bit of space below the battlecruiser. Hints of curves and tendrils, flat expanses and black undulating planes strained their perception. As each weapon discharged, the space beneath the Agamem Dax was a rainbow of energy and explosions. Captain, biological entity still approaching. Our barrage had no effect. Evasive maneuvers, get us away from it. We need an attack angle. Aye, Captain. Sir, the entity is staying with us. Weapon systems primed. Fire. Fire. Fire! Energy and ordnance blossomed from the Agamem Dax again, disappearing into the gargantuan shining blackness. Captain, no effect. Evade, damn you, evasive patterns. Captain, I can't shake it. It's, it's everywhere. Weapons primed. Fire. Fire. Fire! As the barrage of destruction flew forth again, something extended from the mass of shining black, almost indistinguishable from the surrounding space. Something long and round snaked up below the Agamem Dax. With the flick of tremendous speed it whipped, and the battlecruiser was engulfed in a massive ball of orange flames and roiling clouds. A huge ring of explosive energy pulsed outwards and collapsed back on itself. Then nothing. The shining mass had given way to the open darkness of deep space, speckled with a million, million stars. Gareth and Dean stood transfixed at the console, staring as the tiny gold crosshair faded from the screen. Gareth tried to wet dry lips with his tongue. Gortain? The Agamem Dax is gone. All sensors read empty. What? All sensors read empty. Gareth slowly turned his head. Dean's eyes were wide, wild. His lips were flickering and twitching as he murmured to himself, too quietly to be heard. There you go. Don't forget, copyright is Alan's. Alan, thank you so much. Big thank you, sir. Nice to have you on the show. And Nicole, what a, what a lovely voice. Excellent. Thank you again. 
So that is Starship Sova's 365. Again, I just want a big wish to Nick for to get to get better and get sorted out, you know what I mean? Especially this time of year. Get yourself home and hopefully, you know, everything will be all right. Until next week, I would just like to say a good day from me. Will our heroes survive this terrible ordeal? Can they win through with their integrity unscathed? Can they escape without completely compromising their honor and artistic judgment? Tune in next week for the next exciting installment of This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening.